Okay, good morning, City Light Church. Good to see you guys. Grab a seat. My name is Gavin. I serve as one of the pastors here. And as you grab a seat, grab your Bibles, open your Bibles to John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, as we continue on in our Gospel of John series. We love the Word of God. We love to learn from the Word of God. And as you open up the Word of God that you brought with you, uh, I would start off by asking you this question. What would you do with your time if you knew that you only had 24 hours left to live? Well, morbid question to start the morning, but think about that. You've got a day, okay. How are you going to spend that amount of time? 24 hours. I asked a lot of people that question this last week, and the most common answer I got was, well, I'd spend time with family, people that I loved. I thought, yeah, I'll agree to that. I think I would too. I think I'd spend time with my family and, uh, you know, as much time as possible. But in addition, I think I would eat a lot of bacon, like a lot of bacon. I mean, let's be honest. What really limits the amount of bacon that we eat? It's just that we know it has health consequences. If bacon didn't have any health consequences, didn't have to worry about it, I would eat mostly bacon. I mean, think about it. Bacon is so good that to make other food taste better, you wrap other food in bacon. I mean, that's... That's how you make it better. And so if I had 24 hours to live, I would spend time with my family. I would eat bacon. I would have dessert, which would be ice cream wrapped in bacon. And that's what I would do. What, uh, what we're going to see in our text this morning is what Jesus chose to do with his last 24 hours. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus knew that the hour of his death was at hand. And so Jesus knows what's going on. He's fully aware. He's dialed in. He's God. He knows that in a matter of moments, one of his fake friends, Judas, is going to betray him. He's going to turn him into the, to the authorities. He's going to have a fake bogus trial. He's going to be falsely accused, have an expediated trial, and he's going to die on a cross. He knows what's on the horizon for him. And so we get a vantage point. How did Jesus spend his last 24 hours on this earth? And what we see in John 13 this morning is that Jesus chose to spend that last hour of his life serving. Jesus has his friends over. He serves them a nice meal. After the meal, he takes a servant's towel. He gets down and he washes the feet of his disciples. Jesus spends his last hour on this earth serving. That tells us something about who Jesus is and the nature of being his followers and being in his kingdom. And so what we're going to see in this morning's text is that life in the kingdom of Jesus, when you're a follower of Jesus, it's really a life marked by serving in two different ways. And we can miss this idea in either of these two ways. The first way it's about serving, we're going to see, is that we come into the kingdom of God with a posture to receive the service of Jesus, that he came to serve us. And uh, the second way, Jesus is going to say that if you're going to be my follower, then you're going to follow me into a life of serving. So we see that to be a follower of Jesus means to be served by Jesus and then to serve like Jesus. And we can miss this either way. And yet, the way we miss it on either side is the same root cause of pride. Some of us don't want to be served, right? We like to serve other people. We're doers. We're self-made. We're independent. We're secure. I don't need help from anyone. And yet the Bible would say that posture is not to be celebrated. It looks like humility, but it's really pride. And it's a dangerous kind of pride because to come into the kingdom of God, we need to come needy and needing to be served and willing to be served by someone other than ourselves, namely the person Jesus Christ. 
And so, too, we can miss it in saying, I'm unwilling to serve. It's, a, it's an elevated and exaggerated, entitled sense of self that says, I'm above the needs and uh, issues of other people. And uh, what the Bible would call that is pride. But the invitation of our text this morning is to repent of both of these and to enter a posture of great humility. Humility that comes to Jesus saying, I have very little to offer, but a posture of needing to be served. Jesus, you came to serve me. I humble myself. I'm not independent. I'm self-made. I need your service of me. And then a posture that looks outward at the world and says, if my master came to serve me, how too should I engage this world but in an act of service? And so if you've got your Bibles open, let's get into it. Um, I think that this idea of service, by the way, is one of our most pressing opportunities for witness in the world, right? We live in an unprecedented narcissistic world of independence and self-promotion. Have you noticed that? So much so, we put cameras not on just the outside of the phone. What do we do? We put them on the inside of the phone. We love ourselves. We love being independent. We love having no need in serving ourselves. And yet Jesus is going to teach us that as we receive his service and serve one another, uh, we will have a great witness in the world. So, What the gospel writer uh, John does, he really has two sections, 1 through 11, talks about Jesus and his serving. Verses 12 through 17 are his instructions to his disciples and to go and to be served. And so we're just going to hit it in two points that John laid out for us. Uh, And the first point I would summarize is this and encourage you to write it down, that to know Jesus is to be served by Jesus. To know Jesus is to be served by Jesus. By Jesus. Let me show you from the text. Verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I want to pause right there. Jesus loves these guys. He doesn't just tolerate these guys. They're messy guys. They're crazy guys. But he loves them. And he loves them how long? It says he loves them to the end. He says he loves all who are his own in this world, and he loves them to the end. Did you know that if you belong to Jesus, Jesus loves you, and he loves you to the end? I was just thinking about my own love. You know what? I'm good at loving in spurts. Gavin is good at loving lovable people. (laughs) I'm good at loving you when I feel well and I'm energized, but not Jesus. He loves us to the end. How far? All the way to the cross. That's how much Jesus loves you. Verse 2, during supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus is sitting here, he's had his friends over for a meal, and he notices that their feet are dirty, and so he grabs a towel and he gets to work. Now for context, in this day and in this culture, foot washing was one of the most menial tasks of the most common slaves. If you're washing feet, you were at the bottom of the social ladder, you were at the bottom of the social totem pole, the least of the least on the food chain. Unlike our day, we've got paved roads and automobiles, not in his day. These men travel long distances, they travel by foot, and they share the dirt roads with whom the animals. And so their feet are covered with dirt and with dung. And so they come to dirt dinner and they have funky feet. Some of you are married to someone with foot funk. 
you think, amen, don't raise your hand if you're sitting next to her. <laughs> or him, okay? Some of you have roommates with foot funk. Let me just, you know, this isn't the main point of the text, but let me point out, uh, Jesus, what he's experiencing is worse than what you experience uh, in the evening when they take their shoes off, okay? So their feet uh, are covered in dung and with dirt. Uh, they are struggling with some, with some foot funk. No tough acting to actin, no daily showers, no socks. That's what Jesus is doing. And so it's dinner celebration, and it would have been customary for uh, the host of a meal to provide a servant, the lowest on his totem pole, to wash the feet of his guests. But they don't have a host. Luke chapter 22 says that they are in a borrowed room, and so there is no host and there is no servant. So Jesus himself takes the posture of a servant. He gets the towel, he gets the wash basin, in humility beyond Humility, God himself washes the feet of his created men. And what struck me as I read this text this week was not only, you know, the humility of the act itself, which is striking, but also Jesus washed the feet of Judas. John, the gospel writer, goes out of his way to point out in verse 2, Judas is in the room. I want you to imagine that you had a friend who for three years... This friend, you've walked with them, you've fed them, you've served them, you've led them, you've prayed with them. And this friend, for some reason, has decided that tomorrow they're going to have you murdered. And you know about the whole plot. You know the timeline, you know the intention. They don't know that you know, but you know what they know. And imagine that you know that that's coming tomorrow, and today they're standing in front of you. What would you do with that friend? Well, I'll tell you what, if I had a large basin of water and that person in front of me, I wouldn't put their feet in the water. I'd go for the head. I just would. I'd go top rope. I'd bring them down. I'd insert head into water, and we'd just stay there for a while. That's what I would do. Not Jesus. He knows what's in the heart of this man. Jesus is unlike you and I. Jesus is the most selfless man, the man of humility, Knowing what's in the heart of this man, he washes his feet. Incredible. Incredible. He washes the feet that in moments are going to walk out of the room to betray him for a couple pieces of silver. He washes the feet of the man who's going to walk over to the soldier and say, that's the man. Watch me kiss him and then you take him away. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. You know, it's one thing to, to serve your friends. I love to serve people who can serve me back. It's this whole economy of service, right? It's really selfish in the end. Not Jesus. He serves those who can't serve him back. He even serves those who would betray him. In just the chapter before, chapter 12, Jesus says, listen, God is going to be the judge. I didn't come to judge. I came to save. I came to serve. So Judas is going to get his, but what does Jesus do? He leaves it up to God the Father. He said, I didn't come to serve, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's incredible. So now he's done. He comes to Peter. I love this part. Look at this. Look, in verse, uh, look at verse 6. It says, when he came to Simon Peter, uh, or he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? He said, no, I washed everyone else's. I'm going to skip you and wash the floorboards over here. You know? <laughs> yeah. Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Now, let me say this. Peter's resistance seems noble, doesn't it? It's like Peter loves Jesus, he honors Jesus, he reveres Jesus, and he has what appears to be a right reaction. You, you Lord, would wash my feet. Remember, Peter is one of the first guys who really understood who Jesus was. 
In Matthew 16, Jesus asked Peter, who does everyone say I am? Well, you're this guy, you're this guy. What is... And then Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? What does Peter say? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's like Peter knows who God is. He reveres Jesus. He loves Jesus. And it seems like he has the right response. I ought to wash your feet, your God, I'm your servant. And yet Jesus is going to correct him. He's going to show us a very important paradigm to Christianity that's different from every other major world religion, every system of this world. What does he say? Verse 8b. He says, if I, being God, do not wash you, you have no share with me. So this is going to be the terms of the relationship. I am God. I am Christ, the son of the living God. And yet here's how it's going to work. I came to serve you. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I love Peter's overreaction. This guy is the, they call him the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth, right? Big personality. There's no filter between his head and his mouth. He just says it, and he was wrong in the first point. But what I love about Peter, look how quick he is to repent. He sees the truth of the gospel, and he says, well, if you got to wash me, then cannonball. Here I go in the basin. Scrub me down. Get the Lysol. Whatever it takes. If the terms of relationship with you is your service of me, then serve me. I love it. He repents. He says, wash me, I need you. Jesus responds to him in verse 10. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. I got to wonder if Jesus was chuckling as he said that. Uh, except for his feet, but it's completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. What Jesus is showing us is that this foot washing thing is but a metaphor of salvation. He's saying the real washing that they needed was not just of their feet, but of their heart. He's saying they needed their sins removed. They needed to be washed and made new. And Jesus points out that Judas is clean on the outside because Jesus washed his feet. But he's dirty on the inside because he refuses to learn from Jesus and love Jesus and be forgiven by Jesus. Peter, on the other hand, has placed his faith in Jesus, and he's been washed on the inside. Because he trusted Jesus, he has been made clean. City Light, here's the brass tacks truth of what this passage is telling us. If we want to know Jesus and belong to Jesus, we have to be willing to be served by Jesus. Listen to me. This is the gospel paradigm of this Christian faith that makes it unlike every other thing. We don't come into the family of God. We don't come into the kingdom of God with hands with something to offer. God, here's my morality. Here's my church attendance. Here's my financial generosity. Here's my service. I went on a mission trip. I gave to this. I even gave to that commercial with the dying cats and dogs and Jewel singing in the background. Do you remember me? Oh, turn the chin. I even gave to that, Lord. Here I am at your service. I'm a good person. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You've missed it. We come to dinner with dirty feet. We come into the kingdom of God with dirty hearts. We don't come with something to offer Jesus of service. We come with hands empty to receive. We bring only our humility and our sin that says, Jesus, by any merit of my own, I don't stand a chance. He says, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. So the first point that we have to drive home is that to know Jesus means to be served by Jesus. 
This whole Christianity thing can get flipped upside down. It can become a a system of morality. To become a Christian means to serve God, to do this, to do that. Jesus says, no, 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 no. We're going to get there. But the starting place is Jesus came to serve you. It doesn't matter if you're shiny on the outside or if you've got a rebellious past. You come into the kingdom of God by Jesus serving you by his grace. Next Sunday, we're going to see almost 100 people get baptized, y'all, in Stinson Park. This is incredible. Can I just say that? There's 60 people from our congregation and 30 or 40 from our recent church plants that are going to be there. But here's what I love about, test- about uh, Baptism Sunday are the testimonies. It's one thing for Chris and I and Joe to stand up here and tell stories. It's another thing to hear them from the mouths of the people that have been saved by Jesus. In their own words, talk about how they've been served by Jesus. And if I could break it down, we're going to hear basically from two different categories of people next week. Category one is going to be people who, by all means, are relatively put together on the outside. These are people who have good jobs, they're engaged parents, they're dialed in, they're paying attention, they serve in the local church. But what has happened is they had a switch where they realized that their confidence is not in how they have served God, but in realizing that Jesus has come to serve them. And it changed everything. It's no longer about their morality and what they've done, but they are now on the receiving end of God's grace. And they're going to get baptized next week. My neighbor is one of these guys. Brian, I've talked about him before. Great guy, one of the greatest servants in the neighborhood, but it's no longer about what he's done. He now lights up when he talks about Jesus and how Jesus has served him. And I love those testimonies because they remind us that no one is beyond the need for the grace of God. Amazing. We're going to hear other testimonies of people who would say, no, my story is marked by abuse and addiction and brokenness. And they're going to say, I I knew that I had dirty hands and dirty feet. I just didn't realize that Jesus had a place for people like me. And I love those stories because it's a reminder that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. That whether you're shiny on the outside or your story is messy, that we all come to the kingdom the same way, humbly willing to be receiving grace by Jesus. Jesus came to serve us. Think about that for a moment. Isn't it a humbling thing when someone serves you? When you're in a position where you can't help yourself, you're dependent on somebody else. And now think about this reality. Jesus came to serve you, to meet your needs. To know Jesus is to be served by Jesus. But let's get back into our text, because what we're going to see is that receiving the grace of Jesus, receiving his serving work in our lives actually changes us. It actually transforms the way we look at the needs of people around us. And so the second point I want you to write down is this. To know Jesus is to serve like Jesus. To know Jesus is to serve like Jesus. Verse 12. It says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. His argument's simple. You call me teacher, that means I'm your instructor. You call me Lord, that means I'm your leader. Well, if I'm a a servant, you too ought to serve. To say that Jesus is your teacher and Lord, but not live a life of service is, is absurd, right? It would be like me saying, you know what? I've got a great golf coach. He's a wonderful instructor, been working with this guy. He's a phenomenal golf coach. And you would say, well, Gavin, I didn't know you play golf. And I would say, well, I don't play golf. I never hit a ball in my life. Well, you said you had a golf coach. Yeah, I've got a golf instructor. He's my golf lord. But you don't golf. No. Well, that makes no sense. Exactly. That's what Jesus is saying. You call me teacher and lord, and who am I? I'm the greatest servant of all. 
If I'm your Lord and I'm your teacher, what ought I lead and instruct you in? A life of service. Verse 15. For I have given you an example that you also ought to do what I have just done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than he who sent him. If Jesus is your master, are you greater than him that you ought not serve? Verse 17, here's the punchline. Here's what gets me. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That's amazing. If I asked you to picture the life of a person who is blessed, what comes into your mind's eye? Someone with money, someone with a big family and lots of grandkids. I picture someone with a boat. I love boats. That's the, to me, I've never got the boat thing until this summer. Now I get the boat thing. I've been preaching about boats a lot lately. I love boats. 2017 is the year of the boat. That's the blessed life. You got a boat, you're blessed. But Jesus is going to show us a different picture of what the blessed life looks like. He says the blessed person is actually the person who's serving. We think that blessing is found in receiving, Right? If I get more money, more vacation, more autonomy, more independence, more freedom, then I'm blessed. Jesus says, actually, blessing comes in giving. More giving, more loving, more serving, more sacrifice. That's where you find blessing. It's the counterintuitive, inverted, upside-down structure of the kingdom of God. If you want to find your life, you got to lose it. But if you lose it for the sake of Christ, aha, you finally found life. He says, you know that you ought to serve, but if you actually do it, you're going to find that you get blessed. What this means, City Light Church, is that if we're going to be people of the Bible, people who believe the Word of God, we're going to need a paradigm shift. That we're going to have to train our minds. When we think of blessing, we need to start thinking about an opportunity to serve people around us. We're going to have to start to see the needs of people around us, not as an imposition, but as an opportunity. That that needy person in my city group is not an imposition, they're an opportunity for me to serve like Jesus has served me, and in so doing, I get blessed. Dads at home, when you go home and you smell that poopy diaper, you know what it smells like. Just picture that. You know what that smells like? Opportunity. (laughs) You got to retrain your mind. That's an opportunity for blessing. That's not my opportunity to pretend like I didn't smell it and walk out of the room so my wife will do it. That's an opportunity for blessing. That's my new smell. You smell the garbage, you walk by, that's an opportunity. I'm going to get blessed by serving my wife right now. When you get that text message from the family member who asked you to move, and you've moved them three times in the last two years, that looks like opportunity. (laughs) I think this is an opportunity for blessing. I know it doesn't sound right because it's upside down from this world. And i got to be honest, that's not my gut reaction. When I smell the diaper and when I see the text, I don't feel like it's an opportunity for blessing. But here's what I'm learning. I'm learning not to trust my feelings, but to trust the word of God. And you know what? I think it's right. Because I think at the end of my life, at the end of our days, when we look back, we aren't going to wish, man, I wish I had spent more time, money, and effort on my own satisfaction. I think the person who is in the dusk of their life looking back, the person who is blessed is the person who looks back and says, man, I leveraged everything I had for the good of other people. I think that blessings are best seen in hindsight sometimes. It doesn't smell like blessing in the moment, but in hindsight, I'm going to see, I was blessed because I responded to serve like Jesus had served me. Amen? Now, I'll say this. Many times, this is a you know, 
famous passage, Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. I've heard many sermons end with like a foot washing ceremony. So I got some buckets up here. We got some volunteers. I'm going to have you come forward, take your socks off. You're going to wash your neighbor's feet. And I don't mean any disrespect, but I think that's kind of dumb. Don't tell anyone I said that. But it's just me. It's not God. It's just me. It's just like, you know, one, that's really awkward. No one came to church and wanted to take their socks off. And no one wants to see your corns and your bunions. That's just no one's... No one's winning, okay? Number two, your neighbor doesn't really need that, okay? Not only is it awkward, it's just not actually helpful. So we have like a warm, fuzzy moment, but no one actually gets served. And so if I can just keep it real, I would, I would just ask you to consider what are, the, what are the real needs of real people that are really in your life that are opportunities for you to get blessed by serving someone else like Jesus has served you? We have opportunities all around us. I thought I would take a minute and just share. I just took inventory, just texted the pastors. Who are some of the most blessed people in our church? Where do we just see people blessed because they're serving? And I thought I would just celebrate some of those stories. So for the longest time, Ellen Miller, she would drive down to the uh, Lydia house to pick up her friend who didn't have access to transportation. She'd drive her all the way from downtown to her city group so that she could study the word of God. Man, she's blessed because she did that. Bob DeFord, every week, you text me on Saturday night religiously. Hey, do you have your sermon done? You got some sermon notes? And I email it to Bob. And Bob prints off about a dozen copies, and he gives them to international students. That he then goes and picks up, drives here to the church, gives them the manuscript because I talk too fast and they can't follow along. But they read it, and then he takes them out and he disciples them. What a selfless thing. I thought, Bob, you're, you're blessed. That's inconvenient in the moment. But you're going to look back someday and realize you were blessed because you did that. Tyler, you spent time uh, with a guy who immigrated here from West Africa, didn't have a lot of opportunities, didn't know how to navigate, and you inconvenienced yourself, and you just said, Warren, I'm going to be your friend, let's be buddies, let me help. And Warren is going to get baptized, he's walking with Jesus, Warren now serves in our church, I think, man, you guys are blessed. It's a reciprocal relationship where you're serving selflessly, and the treasure's yours, man. It's amazing. Twee and Ron... You invest your lives in international students. You cook food. You pick people up. You drive all over the city. You don't get a dime back. And you know what? You're blessed. I hope I'm not robbing your blessing by spotlighting you right now because your treasure's in heaven. But I think, man, you're going you're gonna to look back someday and realize, man, I'm, we lived a blessed life because we served. I got a friend named Jason. He's six foot four. He's about 300 pounds of, of muscle. He's like a uh, like a, what do you call those horses that have the big paws? He's like one of those. Yeah, he's one of those. Yeah. And uh, he's a Clydesdale of a man. And uh, he's just ginormous. Some of you, I hope he's here. I'm going to embarrass him, right? He's got a neck tattoo that says, Jesus saved me right here. That's amazing. He got it last year after Jesus did a, a good work in his life. And I thought, I want to do that. That's a good conversation. I was going to get young money across the throat. <laughs> Talk to my wife about that. I think I'm going to get Jesus saved me instead. That's a great conversation starter. But Jason, every week he'll come to the 8 or the 9.30, and then he drives home to change clothes because he comes back. He's a single guy. He's got time, and so he spends a Sunday afternoon cleaning our toilets. We're all at Panera. I'm at lunch. I'm wrestling kids, taking a nap, watching golf. Jason's here scrubbing the toilets. And I think that doesn't feel like blessing in the moment as you're working on the peace ladder. Peace ladder. I mean, that's just like no one wants to be there. But in hindsight, you know what? Jason's a blessed guy. That's going to be time. Jerry Royer, you, you invest dozens of hours, professional, trained, 
licensed counselor, donates dozens of hours walking with women in our church that just need some clarity and counsel and help. That's selfless, but that's God's blessing to serve those women like Jesus has served you. My friend Shauna, she's talented at coding. She's brilliant with computers. Not only did she start a school, a not-profit school to help people improve their employability, she's helped build websites for people in our church that are starting ministries to help other people, including one that Gloria started for victims of domestic abuse. She's serving through her coding. That's absolutely amazing. Every Sunday, 140 people wake up early and come to this place to serve the body of Christ. The coffee starts going about 6.45 or 7. There's college students setting out these chairs. People downstairs setting out fishy crackers and coloring sheets and Bible stories, and they're blessed because they get to do this. It's incredible. When we walk by the people in the green vests in the parking lot with their lightsabers directing traffic, it could be 110 degrees or it could be 10 degrees, and they're out there serving. And they're not just a volunteer. They are a servant of Jesus Christ. It's an act of worship. Absolutely incredible. Church, can I just say, you're amazing. You are an absolute model to me. And you are people who are blessed because you are investing your lives in serving other people. So let me just remind you, why are these people serving in these ways? They didn't know I was going to give them a shout out in the sermon. They're probably mad at me because I did. (laughs) But they do this because the gospel both fills the heart and it activates the hands of service. That's what the gospel does. We realize that there's nothing I could offer Jesus that he doesn't have. Acts chapter, I think it's 17, says that God is not served by human hands as though we had any need, right? God doesn't need our help. He's the one who served us in an incredible way, met our needs that we never could have accomplished on our own. And so we serve not to give back to God, but as a response of what God has done for us. And in so doing, we find blessing. Let me end with this gospel reminder. Jesus is the greatest servant of all, is he not? Jesus is God himself who left the comfort of heaven to live, die, and rise again to serve you. And if you were the only one who had a sinful heart, he would have come and laid down his life for you because he loves you and he loves you to the end. Would you receive the service of Jesus that he has given to you on the cross? This morning, we're going to respond to the word of God by taking communion. Same communion that we remember the tangible sacrifice of service that our Lord gave us. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. It says that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's in communion that we remember that Jesus loves his people to the end, all the way to the cross. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've humbled yourself and you've received his grace, you're welcome to the Lord's table. The communion service will come forward. They'll break the bread. You just pop in any line, dip it in the juice representing Jesus' blood, partake, and head back. Uh, We've got a a team of prayer volunteers in the back, and there will be a time of ministry and prayer. So if there's anything you need prayer for, by all means, please go back. If you have any food allergies, You've got a special station in the back where you can partake of communion right there. But right now, let's not miss a moment. Let's just, um, why don't you stand to your feet? The band's going to play. We're going we're gonna to worship, but first, let me pray. Jesus, right now, we want to pause. We are so thankful that we have a God who came to serve. You, your word says that you didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. 
So Jesus, as people who are on the receiving end of that service, we just want to worship you. Say, God, you are good. You are generous. You are kind. You are loving. You are benevolent. We are undeserving, and and yet you poured out your grace on us anyway. And God, our only posture and response is to say thank you. We worship you, and we receive it. And now, God, would you use us? We we don't want to be Christians and word only, but God, as we think about the needs of people around us, I pray that we really would see and smell opportunity to show the love of Christ, that on that last day we would see that we have lived a blessed life as we joined you in your kingdom work to make your name and fame known throughout the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.